Heavenly Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, you would be with me and us on uh, this final day as I share these words as um, the rector of Church of the Resurrection. Pray that your grace would carry us uh, through this, and Lord, that you would um, surprise us with the joy that you have, you have to offer us in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so, uh, of all the sermons that I had to sit down and draft and develop and write, uh, it was most difficult to decide what to say. Uh, once I finally sat down and tried to put pen to paper, um, it flowed really naturally, but it, it took a while because I'm trying to, to think about how do you summarize eight, eight years, uh, maybe a little more, of your time with a congregation that you've loved. Um, I'd love to say it this way, whose very own revitalization, your Church of the Resurrection's own revitalization and renewal seems somehow wedded and fused and connected to my own revitalization and renewal. Uh, the farewell speech uh, that I was suggested that I lean on uh, by a friend was uh, from the great Lord of the Rings novel, Bilbo Baggins. Uh, he's about to depart his friends. It's his 111th birthday, and he says this, Alas, 111 years is far too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable hobbits. Everyone cheers. But then he says, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. And I like half of you half as well as you deserve. And there were like awkward chuckles because it was like, is he complimenting? Is he criticizing us? You can thank Father David for that later. That was really good. Um, no, what, what happens over time is that this is not just a job. It's not just a normal J-O-B. We become brothers and sisters in the faith. We journey together in our faith communities. Um, we, we eat at this table together every week. We sing praises together. We share personal, familial struggles, hopes, joys, sorrows. We are sent together in mission. We come and we're transformed in God's presence, but then we go out in the world, but we don't go alone. We go out together. And when you do that over time, it really has a way of forming you and shaping you to be a blessed community together. And some of my most sacred moments are the new beginnings that I, I was able to share with you um, eight years ago. Um, new beginnings, new births. Uh, we'll celebrate a new grandchild today. These, these kinds of new things, being in the hospital with some of you when you welcomed your first child or a new child. Uh, I remember my first baptism. It was my very first time to ever baptize a child as an Anglican pastor with you, over at the Morris Road facility. Now, some of you weren't here. If, just let me tell you, the facility had a really difficult time regulating whether or not we were supposed to have it cool or hot. And so it was either really cold or really hot. And I'm convinced that I wasn't the only one sweating through my clothes. It was really hot, okay? So that's kind of the setting. My first baptism, I was a total wreck. I was nervous. Now, on the surface, you may not have seen it. Some of you probably knew, but I was a wreck. And it came time to go down to the font and to baptize this child. And this, this young baby had decided on the day to be presented for his baptism to come with the fullest poopy diaper that you can imagine. And when you baptize an infant, you're, it's, it's an intimate thing. Like you get this child up, up close 
And it's like 90 degrees in this little room that we're trying to worship in. And it's like this holy, sacred moment. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Now, I have to, over the font, when a child is that small, kind of tip the child like this. And then in the name of the Father. And I'm thinking, if I, this diaper is so full that if I tip this child, it's going to be all over. He had this great outfit on. He's going to be a mess. I, w- there was, I was convinced there's no way this is solid. Like, this is going to go everywhere. <laughs> and then uh, I had confided in Cooper um, about how nervous I was, that this was my first baptism as an Anglican pastor, and I was really nervous. He said, well, you know, once you do the baptism, you should lean on. I, my, my church in Huntsville, he said, growing up, uh, had this practice of the rector after the baptism we would ring the bells of the church and and the pastor would actually hold the baby out and sort of process the baby around as a way of just celebrating his new baptism or the child's new baptism. We'll play the bells over the sound system and you can present the child. And so I, I just, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then held them up. And then I held out that stinky, poopy diaper like a baby Simba all over the church, and we got through it together. The aroma of the child and the aroma of Christ in our midst, we got through it together. I was a sweaty mess. That's happened more than once on a Sunday here. Uh, Even if it smelled funny, it was a sacred beginning. But in life and in ministry, there are also necessary endings. These are even more sacred for me, I have to tell you, that for those of you who I have had the privilege of sharing space and presence with, as you said goodbye to dear loved ones in your life. And a last sermon by any pastor is this tough assignment because you're holding together sort of the sacredness of new beginnings, and the sacredness of necessary endings, and you just kind of hold it all together. And so as my time as rector comes to a conclusion, I want to say, first of all, how very thankful Jennifer and I and my family are for you. As this necessary ending has come, I want to say thank you. It was over eight years ago, and we embarked on this grand journey, really not knowing where either of us would end up, but we stepped out in faith. In fact, you all as a church pivoted uh, at the final hour. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We met one another, and the search team and the board and the bishop made a pivot, and we stepped out in faith. We were planning to plant a church in another zip code. We had, in fact, sold a home in Flower Mound, Texas, and left because we thought our next step was elsewhere. Somebody once said that God paints straight with crooked lines. Thank you, David. That was happening, and we were being called back here, and you opened your arms and stepped out in faith and welcomed us. We stepped out in faith together. I say that because um, I didn't have gray hair yet. It was thinning, but it, wasn't, it, was, it was dark. Uh, and yet you welcomed me as your new rector and pastor I got to share in so many new beginnings with you, and some of them were my own new beginnings, like I said, like a first baptism or um, 
helping you welcome in uh, new members to your own family. Some of them were, there were so many firsts for me. I mean, we walked through a number of new things together. And uh, what's, what I want to say is thank you for giving me the space and the grace to find my way as a pastor. That's no small thing. In his memoir, my favorite book about being a pastor, it's called The Pastor, um, Eugene Peterson writes a story about his son coming home from college and telling him his son was a, uh, some sort of literature major, and he comes home to his dad, who's quite the author by the time, and he says to his dad, you know, novelists only write one book. They find their voice, his son says to Eugene, they find their voice, they find their message, and they write their book, and then they just do it over and over. And his dad thought, well, that's an interesting observation. And then a few days later, after uh, service, his dad, his son said to him, Dad, you remember how I was talking about those novelists only writing one book? You only preach one sermon. And he was kind of wounded. You know, it, it's, you get criticism a lot. The higher the ape climbs, the more he shows his rump, somebody once said. Um, you get criticized a lot when you stand up and talk often. And to have your own child come to you and say, you know, it's kind of old and worn out and like you, you only got one. He says, no, no I, I know all the different genres. I preach to all, all of scripture. We follow the lectionary. I'm sensitive to what genre we're in. And well, he realized uh, one day that he had misunderstood his son because after a Sunday sermon, he says, dad, um, that was it. That was your one sermon. And he says, my problem right now when I'm at university trying to find a church home is none of these pastors have found their sermon. And he began to understand that it was a compliment, not a critique. And in fact, it was at his funeral that his son stood up and he said, my dad had you all fooled. He only had one sermon and he preached it over and over. He, he published all these books, but it was the same book, just published over and over under different titles. And he said, I knew it. I was in on the secret because for 50 years, he has been whispering this simple message to me. He said he used to put us to bed at night, and when he thought we were asleep, he would lean over the rail and he would say this, God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you, and he is relentless. My sermon isn't that succinct, you know that. But I've discovered the importance of focusing not only my attention, but as I teach and preach and live now, that we are to be focused on not our action, but God's action in the world. What has God been up to? What has he done and accomplished? And what is he doing now? And let's call our attention to that. You gave me the grace and the space, not only to find my way as a pastor, but to begin to find my sermon. We shared in a lot of new beginnings. We made the decision to purchase land. We made the decision together to leave a permanent building, to get on the move into temporary space where we still cannot control the temperature. Uh, we made the decision to stay on our knees together and to say, Lord, we want to be the kind of community that's on mission and I'm so thankful that through all the ups and downs, my goodness, if you haven't talked with others about what churches have been through since March of 2020, uh, I am so thankful for how durable you have been as a church. It's incredible. Your courage to get on the move. Uh, we've talked a lot about this, but uh, God 
calls his people. We are always a pilgrim people. That's part of our identity. God is always on the move. Well, I know we've talked a lot about being a church on the move, but it's just part of our DNA. It's part of our identity as, as God's people that we're to be on the move. What was Jesus's first invitation and challenge? Follow me. Some of you probably use that lingo. You probably say to others, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, that implies he's leading. And that implies movement. You're, you're following. You're keeping in step with him. And um, there were times in ministry, in the life of the church, where as we follow him together, there would be these necessary endings. And there's a number of scenes in Scripture. Acts 20 comes to mind, where Paul has to say farewell to a group that he loves. And there's, there's others that we could consider. But, but the point is that there comes a point in time where we celebrate and we look and say this is a sacred and necessary ending. One of our council members said a few weeks back that something along the lines, uh, Vicki said it really well, and she was clear. I just probably took it the wrong way. She said, before Brian departs, and, and I like, it's like, I'm not terminally ill. I'm not dying that I know of. Uh, in the case of Bilbo, he actually was planning to go somewhere, and he like clicked his heels, and he says, okay, I'm off, and boom, he disappeared. Dean has told me horror stories of pastors leaving churches. One pastor served for 30 years in a church, 30, 29, 30 years, and, it, and, and, and nobody knew anything was up. And at the end of the service, instead of processing out, he says, I'd like you to all be seated. He says, well, that was my last sermon as your rector. And today's my last day. And they never saw him, like poof, like Bilbo. He was gone. And I've realized in my last few months, look, we've not done that. Hopefully, I've not done that. If you didn't get the memo, somebody helped me, three months ago or more, uh, we've been in this transition together. If you didn't get the memo, Candace will get it to you. Find Candace afterwards, and she can update you on, on the news. Um, but it is important for me to be clear that my family and I will be stepping away from Church of the Resurrection, uh, not out of rejection, but out of love. And, here, and here's the main reason why. Um, we are not being relocated to another part of the country, which is typical when a pastor leaves. There's like, they, they take on another parish and they move to another city. Some of you have done that as pastors yourselves. Our situation's a little different. So I need to be clear that we are stepping away. And here's why, out of love for you and for the next rector to be established, it's important that proper space is given. You know that you don't linger in an unhealthy way, that you give space, here, here it is, for a new sacred beginning. That has to happen. So thank you for what a joy it's been. Uh, Jennifer and I, as we were talking last night about this moment, uh, we got all worked up and emotional because finding, finding my way, finding my sermon, really meant being transformed as a son and child of God. And it's had a tremendous effect on me as a father, as a husband, and we are so incredibly thankful for these years with you. Now, there's also the hope of new beginnings, and I want to say a few things about your new beginning that you're about to start on uh, without me around, and also our new beginning, because many of you have asked me, what in the world are you going to do in this next chapter? So um, in your new beginning, let me just say one last time publicly how excited I am for what the future holds for Church of the Resurrection. Um, this has been an incredible team. I had no idea Jarrett and Macy were coming. My goodness, thank you for being here. 
They're here, if you didn't know it. Now stay focused for the next few minutes, but they're here. (laughs) The team that God has used to form and shape and mold each and every one of us, the staff team that's here now, um, our council, what an incredible group of people. And what I'm most excited about is that we could have just stayed in a place of neutral. There really isn't a neutral gear in the faith. But we could have just been content to just play it safe. And instead, this team, staff, council, church, stepped out and left a permanent building and moved into temporary space. And we did that in 2020. Like, I had clergy friends that were like, what are you doing? You haven't met Church of the Resurrection. God's calling us to do this, to step out in faith and to trust him. And this was the beginning of this new chapter. Now, we could have continued to sort of play it safe. You know, there was one men's restroom There were like, I don't know, 40 parking spots. We got to play Frogger across the street of Morris every Sunday, some of us. Um, But there was a sense in which it's like, oh, let's just keep business as usual. No, God's calling us to step out in faith. And I'm telling you, when God does that, he has plans in store that are going to blow your mind. What an incredible thing that you've done. It's not normal. It is not normal to do that as a church. And so I'm hopeful about your new beginning. I'm also hopeful because I know how you've treated me and my family for eight years. And I want to ask that you do the same thing for your next rector. When I came at 33, not only did I not have gray hair, there were a lot of things that I didn't really know how to do yet. And you gave me the space and the grace to find my way. You also didn't put unhealthy expectations on my family. You loved them. We've been a weird combination of pediatrician and pastor And we have felt your support and love and prayers through all of that. That is an incredible gift that you've given us and my kids. And I just pray that you'll do the same thing in this next chapter, in this new beginning. It's a very difficult time. In fact, it's far more difficult of a time and moment to be the rector of a local church. If you didn't know that, newsflash, it's a difficult moment. Not only to be a follower of Christ, to be the church, but... God, what are we to do in this next step? And you didn't place unhealthy expectations on us, and I'm not only thankful, but encourage you to do that same thing for your next rector and family. What about us? So uh, the Poppy family is, uh, has a new beginning, um, and we are very hopeful and excited about what God's calling us to. So I've shared previously, uh, again, some of you, I know the flow of communication, church attendance, maybe you didn't get the memo, but... Jen transitioned to a new job over a year ago. Uh, So we both have made really significant changes. And what we learned, had we had been more mature in our faith, probably within the first year or two, we would have realized back in 2015 that trying to raise a young family and being a full-time primary care pediatrician and a full-time senior pastor of a church that's in the middle of relaunch is probably going to be too much weight for your family to carry. We didn't have the maturity to know that. And so for seven years, we just kind of wore ourselves out. And our kids probably thought it was normal. It wasn't normal. And in many ways, it wasn't okay. And so as we step into this next season, there's been these major changes. Jen transitioned to this new role over a year ago. And some of you have asked, like, well, what are you going to do? And I genuinely didn't know when God asked me to step away. I didn't know. I don't know. Will you pray for me? I'm not quite sure. All of you that are close to me know that that was a fact. 
I'm not quite sure what you're paying. And, you know, guys that have been rectors tend to have a sense of what they're doing day in and day out and who they're meeting with and what next month looks like. And that was very disorienting to me. But God, you're calling me to step out. I'll tell you, these three things stand out. One, it's very personal and familial that Jen and I are both going to be supporting not only our marriage, but our children more. And um, I've joked with some of you about sayings like, you know, you've heard things like the cobbler's kids have no shoes. You ever heard that? Pastoral ministry has a way, one of our mentors, uh, Dave and I were just at a retreat, says it has a way of sort of uh, feathering out and cutting away at your faith over the years. And it's weird. It's weird to say that, isn't it? Um, it's not quite like my kids have no shoes in their own faith, but we are being called into a new season, a new beginning of being more intentional about our own formation and theirs. I am going to be serving in a very part-time role with a movement that's connected to our church, really, in many ways, that cares for the revitalization of two things. And this is really fun for me because I feel like this is what's happened in my own heart, is it? It's a ministry that cares not only for the revitalization of other local churches, so I'll be helping other churches walk through the process of revitalization themselves, but also being attentive to the life of the clergy, the pastor, and their revitalization and renewal. And this next season, I'll actually get to do that mainly from home, a little bit of travel, but it'll be a part-time role where I'll be working with other churches and leaders in their own renewal and revitalization. I'm pumped to get to do that. Most of that work will be within the Anglican Church in North America. God's opened up some really cool opportunities for me to do that. But actually, that's secondary to the main thing in this next season. And that's why I wanted us to read from Luke chapter 10 to hear. Now, I don't have a whole nother sermon. Some of you are like, wow, well, I, think we're, I think we're getting close. Yeah, we're getting close. Um, but Luke 10, uh, my, first, my first time to find my way as a pastor when Cindy lost Ricky, God opened up this passage, I believe not only for me, but for us. And it was this invitation to presence. It was an invitation at the beginning of what would be our ministry together to say, verse 40 actually says, Martha was distracted by much serving. Martha was distracted by much. There were good things that needed to be done that, that were on the to-do list for the coming months and coming years, but there was a distraction in her heart, and Mary was taking on the posture of a disciple, of a learner. She was present to her Lord. She was listening she had put him at the center of everything and knew in wisdom when to say those tasks can wait. This is the one needful thing. What am I going to be doing in this next season? I'm telling you, God is calling me, Jennifer, Tucker, and Emery to a new beginning and sitting at his feet and being present to him. And it, it's such a radical invitation that it requires a radical reorientation of our day-to-day -day commitments. There's a lot to do in, not only in home life, uh, just to run a home, right? Home, there's nothing like homework. There's always laundry. There's always dishes to do. 
Uh, have you ever tried to live in a house that's being renovated, like at the same time? Um, you, I know you have. Some of you have. It's, it's not real fun. And yet, as God's people, we're always in a process of being renewed and being revitalized. And there's sawdust in the kitchen, and the, that bathroom's not quite ready. And that's just the nature of being the church together. And in the midst of all those things, you can get distracted with much serving, just like Martha. So if you'll allow me this last exhortation, would you, in the midst of this necessary ending and a new sacred beginning, would you do the one thing needful? Would you not get distracted by all that there is to do? And there is. There will be plenty to do. Would you sit at the feet of Jesus before you do the dishes? Mary's not in a hurry. Um, this is connected to both my family and hopefully this faith family. Do you know how, somebody used to say this way back in the day. You know how kids spell love? You guys know this? You've ever heard this? It's spelled like this. T-I-M-E. And I'm kind of a quality time guy. Myself, some of you might consider, you actually can't have quality time without quantity time. If you're in a hurry, if you're rushing, if you're trying to force a rooted, restful, and relational life into one to two hours a week, it's not going to work. You'll be incredibly frustrated. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Be unhurried. Enjoy him. And this is a major shift. Uh, watch him enjoy and delight in you. At the end of every night in Compline, we say, keep me as the apple of your eye. As this season comes to an end, here's this opportunity for a sacred new beginning. What a joy to be a part of that, that you have. Um, Jarrett and Macy could testify to this in ways that I can't, where I stand today. Uh, we don't even though there's space and there's a, there's a clean, clear kind of break in the nature of my relationship, I'll never stand here and be rector again of Church of the Resurrection. We're forever connected. You're in my prayers. I know I'm in your prayers. I'm so thankful for the joy it's been to serve you. And I'm also thankful for this sacred new beginning that we both have. And so, Father... Lord, for uh, smelly starts, um, for uh, joy-filled opportunities to celebrate your work together. We give you thanks for all of it and in between. Lord, thank you for friends and brothers and sisters who, Lord, are centered on you, who want to be seated at your feet, that you, Lord, are the center point of our lives and we are there together at your feet. And then we're sent from there, Lord, on mission together. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us and through us. In Christ's name, amen.